Bible reading this morning is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 2, starting at verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Well, thank you, Peter. Um, as we look at the scriptures, a question that sometimes comes to mind is, well, why did Jesus come? Why did God become flesh, make his dwelling among us? Uh, well, we say to die for sin. Yes, to enable forgiveness. But sometimes we don't put it in terms of enabling us to worship God. Jesus coming so that we could worship the God who made us. Because that is why Jesus provided forgiveness of sins, so we could do that and glorify him. Over the centuries, the big question life for many has been, where is God? How do I find him? Where do I go to find God? And plenty of religions and groups have tried to provide their answers, and it usually involves a lot of effort, doing various religious rites and rituals to gain favour with a distant God. And it often puts a lot of power in the hands of those leaders and teachers of the said religion, that they hold the key. Come here, come and do what we say, and all will be well. And it's possible that we think that, that well, it's possible we think that about the God of the Bible, that he's playing hide and seek, and we need to work out the puzzle. We need to find our way through to see if we can get God, that we can reach him. Well, I hope that this Bible passage helps destroy that impression. In fact, I'd like to make a whip of cords and chase it out of your minds. Jesus came not to hand us a new list of rules and religious rites, but to purify us, to bring us forgiveness, yes, through his atoning death, so that we can have that relationship with the God who made us, the true and living God, and worship him truly. If we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ the Lord. If we want to worship God, we come 
to Jesus Christ the Lord. So our account today fits with the previous account that we had last week, the wedding in Cana, where the old purification jars were fulfilled in the new wine of the kingdom of Jesus, making possible this new worship that Jesus introduces here. Remember, John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written in John chapter 2, that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So let's pray that we do that. Let's just take a moment and say, Lord, please teach us so that we would trust in you more. Let's bow our heads. Our Bible reading says, after Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Lord, do that in our hearts, we pray today, that we would see Jesus, we would believe in him and your words, that we would trust in you more and uh, delight in you and worship you rightly. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus is walking into the temple and he's doing what he did right at the beginning of his ministry. And this is a huge deal. It's a huge deal in Jesus' day, and it's a huge deal for us now. There is a debate among clever people about whether this same incident of going into the temple and cleansing it, was it the same as the one in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Um, they have it at the end of Jesus' ministry, before he goes to the cross. But actually, it could quite easily have been two separate events. Because as Jesus begins his ministry, or whether he's about to go to the cross, what a statement this makes. There's a real intent here as Jesus arrives in the main worship place of Israel and stakes his claim to be the one that we come to. My first point, as he explodes onto the scene, is that Jesus is zealous for true worship. Jesus is zealous for true worship. That word zealous simply means he's passionate. He's passionate for the true worship of God. It's Passover. That's why Jesus and his disciples are there. Verse 13, it says that, and it's the busiest time of year. The city of Jerusalem will be absolutely packed. The temple, the focal point of the nation, will be heaving with people. For this is where the nation's worship takes place. Pilgrims come from all over Israel, all over the world, actually, the known world, to remember God's rescue of his people out of slavery of Egypt and rescue from God's judgment. Do you remember the angel of death passing over the homes in Egypt? But if they had the blood on the door, he would pass over those homes. The blood of the sacrificed lamb saving them. And it was also a time of Passover to be praying for God's promised Messiah. There was a great expectation in the air at Passover. And actually, there's a great expectation for us as readers, as we see Jesus entering this scene, as he goes into the temple courts at this key time of year. And verse 14, what does he find? Chaos, absolute chaos. This is the heart of the nation's worship. And he sees it's become a marketplace. Now, there's nothing wrong with trade in itself. Some pilgrims have traveled very long distances to get there. And it wasn't reasonable to expect them to bring their own animals for sacrifice. They would need to buy some animals in Jerusalem. And they would need the money to do it. They had different, different money where they came from. 
So money changes are necessary for that as well, and to pay the temple tax. So that's not the issue. What is the issue is where this trade is taking place, the buying and selling. It's the temple courts. And yes, of course, it's a busy time of year. But nonetheless, this place should be a place of prayer, of contemplation, of, of confessing sins, of praising and worshipping God, bringing our lives before him. And Jesus sees the scene and, and is rightly angry. And this is not a rash flying off the handle anger like maybe some of us do, or maybe people we know. This is a godly anger, a right and controlled and settled anger against evil things. Look at verse 15. Note his authority, his one man in a densely crowded market. He makes a whip of cord and he drives them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables. There is judgment going on, folks. He is judging these people. And it's useful to just listen to the words of the prophecy of Malachi in chapter 3. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Who's that? Who remembers? Well, I heard someone in number 73 shouting, John the Baptist! Reading on. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. That's so exciting. But it's also terrifying. God is seeing their worship. He's seeing the quality of our worship. He knows our hearts. But let me read on. But who can, who can endure, verse 2, the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit at a refiner, as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. Who's a, who are the Levites? Well, they're the priests that work in the temple. And he will refine them like gold and silver. Wow, he's a soap. He's a fire. That's a sign, isn't it? Jesus is coming into the temple. He's purifying it, cleansing it. He's saying, this is the place gifted to you to draw near to God. He is your creator and your redeemer. What a privilege. And how dare you? How dare you that you should treat it like this? God's honor and glory is at stake. This is what Jesus's heart is. It's for God's honor. We sometimes think it's, uh, he came primarily to bless me. But actually he came primarily to bless, uh, to, to honor the Lord, his father. This is his mission. This is his uh, messiahship taking place. This is to return the people to true worship of God, a worship from the heart. And the disciples who are with Jesus probably knew nothing was going to take place like this. Uh, they look at it all and they, Psalm 69 pops into their heads. The time when King David was derided and rejected for being zealous, for being so passionate about God and his, his temple, that they hated him for it. And David cries out to the Lord, zeal for God's house will consume me. And here, Jesus, King David's greater son, 
is filled with such fervor for the Lord's honor, for true worship, it will consume him. In other words, it would destroy him. And indeed it will. Jesus will go to the cross to secure true worship with God for us. Do you see that here in our passage? It was an extraordinary privilege for the people to worship God in this way. But it's a shadow of the true worship that we can enjoy with God. This is just a taste. They can approach, uh, they could not approach this holy God uh, intimately. Uh, they kept having to perform sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. The priesthood were needed to, to sort of be the in-betweeners, to be their go-between. But now the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, has entered this temple, this place. The temple that has sidelined God, has turned it into a market. And the Lamb of God comes in and drives out the animals. As if to say, you won't be needing these animals anymore. I am here. For I will provide the only once and for all sacrifice that you'll ever need. I will bring about true worship. I will bring about a personal, loving, intimate relationship with the living God. That is the mission I've come to. And that is the mission that will consume me. That will be my destruction. It's so exciting. It's so glorious. And that quote from Malachi goes on to say, The Lord will have men and women who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. This is great news. This is gospel news, friends. We are acceptable. We will be made acceptable to God through Christ his son. But isn't this a scandal that we're seeing here? And isn't it a scandal when we look at our own hearts and perhaps people, churches around us? when we welcome all that clutter and noise back into them, back into our worship. How is your heart at the moment? How is your worship? How's your relationship with the Lord God? Has it become too casual? Or perhaps you rely on your sacrifices, your good works to feel in touch with the Lord. But actually your heart's no longer engaged. How much do you share Jesus' zeal, his passion for God, that his name will be honoured and glorified, and not only in your own life, but in the church? Isn't there too much noisy religion about us, replacing true discipleship, the sort of discipleship we see in the disciples at the end of the passage? Are you praying for our national church? And I wonder whether this is also about our zeal and passion and for God's glory when it comes to the world. Um, they are not worshipping the Lord. They are ignoring him. They need to hear the wonderful news that the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world, to make this relationship possible. So we shouldn't be au fait with uh, what's going on in our streets, with the anger and bitterness and resentments, with the violence, with the damage being done to other people, the injustices, uh, Black Lives Matter, all that stuff. We shouldn't just let it run under us. But we should stand up and we should make it known that God's name should be honoured in the whole world 
not just the church. It's a challenge there. But it's also a personal challenge, isn't there? To do a heart checkup. Um, but also, there's a chance to revel in the joy of what Jesus is doing here in the temple. He is demonstrating what he has come to do. He's zealous for the true worship of God. He's zealous to bring you to God's throne of grace. He loves you and his passion for you will consume him. His passion to bring you to God will ultimately, it puts him on the cross for you and for me. So whip in hand, Jesus, uh, sorry, if we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. If we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. And whip in hand, Jesus is zealous for true worship. But what gives him the right to do this, to behave like this? Well, that's a question that comes his way. So secondly, we see that Jesus reveals that he is the true temple, that he is the true temple. The religious leaders find Jesus' behavior challenging, to say the least. But if they thought he was simply a troublemaker with anger issues, they would have arrested him or thrown him out. But instead, verse 18, they ask him a question. They ask him for a sign. In other words, they recognize that he has some sort of authority. He's acted with a, perhaps a God-given authority. So they want him to do a miracle to prove it, that he's from God. But does God do miracles to prove himself to questioning people? No, he doesn't. And if Jesus was sent by God in some way, as they suspect, why were they not willing to stop and ask themselves, maybe Jesus has a point. Maybe we have displeased God, letting this temple go to rack and ruin, to behave in this way. But despite, despite their sort of outward appearance of religiosity, they're not zealous for God's honour, for right worship. And it seems that they only care about their own honour. Who does Jesus think he is? We're the leaders here. We've come up with these temple rules. We're the guardians of the religion. So do a sign and we might listen to you for a little bit longer. Well, Jesus' answer is a complete mystery, isn't it? Verse 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now, Herod the Great had built what was a very large and very impressive building. So this challenge um, was, would have shut them up. He's offered a sign. And they're not going to go get their bulldozers and destroy it to see if Jesus really can rebuild the temple. But if he did do it, it would prove that he had the authority to speak and to throw out animal sellers and money changers. Anyway, verse 20, they point out the impossibility of it all. It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? Well, they didn't have the eyes of faith. They didn't have the eyes of faith uh, to see that the cleansing of the temple was evidence of God at work. And they don't have the eyes of faith to understand what Jesus is really saying here. But John helps us because it's hard for us as well. Verse 21, the temple he had spoken of was his body. In other words, Jesus's body is God's temple. But I thought they were standing in God's temple. 
Yes, but not for much longer. Soon Jesus would do something to show that they no longer needed a special building to come to God. No, all we need now is Jesus. Who remembers that bit of John 1 verse 14 that says, very famous verse, I've given you a clue, there it is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Remember, Jesus is the word. God made flesh, made a person. Look at the second bit. He made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling can actually be translated as tabernacle. So verse 14 could be translated like this. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Remember Israel's history. If the temple was in good shape, we've got our tent. If the temple was in good shape, it was a sign that the people were in good shape. There's the tent of God, the tabernacle. And again, the holiness of God was such that only a small, um, oh, so where are my picture? So God um, appeared to them in a cloud of pillar by cloud by day and fire by night. And uh, it was a sign of his presence with him. But he also gifted them uh, the temple, the tabernacle. Um, it was a tent um, existing among the people of God. And uh, there it is. And the tent would be right in the center of the camp. And it would be a sign of God being with them. And also that they could come and worship him. But only special people could go into the center part of the tent. But nevertheless, it was a sign of God dwelling with his people. And of course, the tent became, uh, as they moved into the promised land many years later, and then Solomon built it, the tent, the tabernacle, became the temple. And uh, we've got a picture of um, the second temple that they built. But there's the temple and another sign at the heart of the nation, at the heart of Jerusalem, the sign of God dwelling with his people. This is the place they were to come and worship God. And again, only the special people, the priests, could go into the inner parts of the temple to show just how holy God is. There's only a certain distance they can come. And in that building, uh, there was a curtain uh, right before the Holy of Holies where God was supposed to dwell. And only one priest once a year could go through that curtain um, to make that sacrifice for sin on behalf of the people. So this is the place where they came to worship God. And the holiness was as such that only a few people could go to the that curtain acts as like a barrier and only one person could go in once a year. But John writes that the word God became flesh. The person Jesus became flesh. He tabernacled among us. He was God's tent among us. So in other words, Jesus becomes God's meeting place, the new tabernacle. And Jesus is saying the same sort of thing in verse 19 destroy or consume this body of mine and i will rebuild it in 10 day, in three days so day after day you bring sacrifices to the temple but in this temple my body the ultimate sacrifice will take place as i die on the cross a sacrifice that will end all sacrifices 
three days later, I will rise again. So if we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. If we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. Everything that the temple stands for is found in Jesus. Everything. Which means the temple and all the old ways of approaching God were now finished. Once there were priests that acted as go-betweens, you know, you have an argument with your brother or your sister and a parent has to step in or a friend and gets you back together again, uh, gets you to shake hands and say sorry. But the same way, Israel needed priests to act as a go-between. But Jesus says, I'm the temple. You don't need priests anymore. You come directly to me. In fact, I am the priest. I bring you to the Father. Also, one of the main things the priests did was perform sacrifices. Animals would be killed in order to show God that you were sorry. And the people's sin would be transferred onto the animal, onto the head of the animal. And the animal would die in the, for our sin in our place for a short space of time. God's anger at our sin would be satisfied for a, for, a, for a spell. But then, of course, we would carry on sinning. And they needed to come back again and again to make more sacrifices. Well, Jesus says, I am the temple. Come to me and you won't need these endless sacrifices. Because I've made that sacrifice that deals with sin once and for all. And he did that. We know this by dying on the cross. Our sin, though needs to be transferred onto Jesus as he dies. And we saw that as the sky went black and Jesus was separated from the Father. And he was made sin so that we can be made clean, clean before a holy God. Jesus is the, the temple, the meeting place with God. And if we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. If we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. In verse 22, we read that later on, uh, after Jesus rose again, proving that he did have authority to do all these things, uh, the disciples did it. They, we read that they believed in the scriptures. They believed the words of Jesus. And the challenge is that we do the same. And in many ways, we need to do this daily. We need to keep reminding each other daily. Uh, of the place where we worship God, of Jesus, as our true temple. And we surely can't take this worship for granted. Uh, we're not to worship him in a sloppy way, whether it's as individuals as a church. It costs him everything to make it possible. The Bible teaches us that the resurrection means that Jesus will return as judge. Do you remember Malachi? He will return as a refiner's fire, as a laundering soap, and we need to be ready. What will he find when he comes back to the household of God? But be encouraged, folks. God does not play hide and seek. There's no puzzle to coming to him. In fact, he has come to us in the person of Jesus. So do you want to connect with God? Well, you don't need to go on a pilgrimage to do it. You don't need to go to some holy site. You don't need to have to special music some the best christian music playing on your machine it's not that you need the best sermon or the preacher 
You don't even need Zoom. Because we've got Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that we know that we can come to him today, this afternoon, anytime, any place, in the middle of a pandemic. If we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. If we want to worship God, we come to Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus is zealous for true worship. And he shows us that he is the true temple. 